You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. When I was a boy, I uh, grew up in Northern California, but I was oftentimes taken to Maine to visit relatives for vacation. So I had a heavy dose of exposure to the Maine accent, and, uh, and including exposure to a particular pair of comedians named Bert and I, who... Uh, are not so well known, but they have one sketch known better than they are, and that is uh, called Which Way to Millinocket? And it goes like this. Uh, I was standing outside Sutherland's IGA store one morning when I heard a fliver approaching down the street toward me. Someone calls from the car, Which Way to Millinocket? Well... You can go west toward the next intersection, get on to the turnpike, go north through the toll gate at Augusta till you come to that intersection. Well, no. You keep right on this tar road. It changes to dirt now and again. Just keep the river on your left. You'll come to a crossroads and let me see. Then again, you can take that scenic coastal route that the tourists use and after you get to Bucksport, well, let me see now. Millinocket. Come to think of it, you can't get there from here. <laughs> and that's the way a lot of us feel with respect to the claims of Jesus Christ. Right? We know that they're valuable. We cherish them. We want them to shape our destiny. And yet we sort of scratch our heads and say, I don't know that I can get there from here. And so... Uh, we asked an important question uh, this morning, and that is, what's the path that we are to journey? It's an important question. Jeremiah 6.16 tells us, ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls. The ancient paths. We begin a new sermon series uh, for the next six weeks, a summer reading series, I'm calling it, on the book of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, this book here, I, I'm told that you all are going to come and go over the summer, so I thought, well, why? i give you a, some reading assignment. You can read this book, and then when you come back in, you'll kind of jump right into where we are. Uh, but it's a story about how to get there from here. The full title of this book, when it was published by John Bunyan in 1678, is The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to that which is to come. It's a story that shows us how to get there. One Princeton uh, University professor wrote, in my own estimation, next to the Bible, which is in a class by itself, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress rates highest among all classics. The reason is that as I proceed along the appointed course, I need not only an authoritative book of inspiration and instruction, I need a map. We all do. My considered judgment is that Bunyan's masterpiece has provided us with the most excellent map to be found anywhere. Why, having read and reread the book some 50 times, I see that map most vividly unfold under my gaze in whatever place or situation I find myself. What clear answer could one find to his basic questions? What kind of place is this? And what should I do next in this situation? The great 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon he said, above the Bible, I cherish this book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, because he said it's the Bible in a different form. 
Uh, that's what Bunyan sets out to write. It's, it's another form of the biblical story. And we know that the story of the Bible is really the story of, of faith. The characters of the Bible, the form of their lives, the shape of their life, is uh, the life of faith. And so our lives are to take that same shape, aren't they? So we're going to look today at Hebrews chapter 11. It's a text that some people have referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. It's an extensive list of those Bible characters that have gone before us and who have lived by faith, whose lives have been shaped by that thing that we call a, a faith. And we're going to find right in the heart of it, right in verse 13, a text that actually gives Bunyan the title for his story. Because uh, in verse 13, our translation uses the word foreigners, uh, but the text of Scripture that Bunyan used uh, translated the word pilgrims. Uh, Bunyan would have read the Geneva Bible, and the Geneva Bible borrowed the word pilgrims from uh, uh, William Tyndale's translation, the first translation from the original languages into English. Pilgrims. And in this text, which is kind of an intrusion in this list of great names of people who live by faith, we have a kind of a summary. It's, a, it's an explanatory center right in the middle of the chapter. And it gives us three steps that inform the, the beginning of this journey we call the life of faith. So I'd invite you to pull out your Bible to, and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. You'll find that in the Pew Bible on page 977. Let's stand and read this text together. Hebrews 11. We'll read 13 all the way down to verse 16. And after we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you think it's true, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's word. All of these died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance, they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. So you notice there in verse 13, there are three verbs that are set in the original language, Greek, uh, parallel to one another. These uh, people in the hall of faith saw the promises, they greeted the promises, and they confessed uh, that they were pilgrims. So let's look at each of those steps on the journey. The first step of, of the path of faith is to see, uh, which is seeing the promise of Jesus Christ. Is a, first, we have to perceive that Jesus has a promise that he makes uh, to you. And so the path begins with discovery. Jesus loved to surprise. Jesus also was a storyteller like Bunyan. He went around just telling stories. And they were stories of ordinary things that people could relate to in life. But they always had a twist. If you followed the story, at the end you found that suddenly Jesus had reframed reality for you. And there's a surprise. I think, for example, of two stories that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. Now, one is a story of a, a man who is traveling through a field and he finds a treasure. It's a hidden treasure, but he perceives it. He sees it somehow. And uh, he goes away and he, he, he buys the whole field just to have that treasure. See, it's such a, 
a great discovery. It's such a surprise, a delight. The very next story that Jesus tells is of a man who is a pearl merchant. And he, he travels the markets of the world, presumably, uh, looking for valuable pearls. So he knows one when he sees one. And one day he finds a pearl of great value. And he goes back, Jesus says, sells everything he has. He'll need nothing once he know, ha, finds this one pearl. And he buys a pearl of great value. For those of us who uh, live after Jesus... The promise is most clearly seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if today you're just beginning the journey of faith or exploring who Jesus is, the place to begin is really with the resurrection. You see, because death is that uh, final barrier, isn't it? It's that place that really says, ultimately, you can't get there from here. And, and, And if somebody can pass through death, as Jesus does, it would change everything. It would mean that there is no crisis that you and I ever face. There is no day that is so dark. There is no tomb through which we cannot pass in the power of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. If we can see that, we can see the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a difference between seeing something and looking at it. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Bunyan was not a religious man. He had probably though known growing up in England about the promise of Jesus. And he kind of looked at it before, but he hadn't really seen it. Bunyan, John Bunyan, was a veteran. Uh, He'd served three years in the parliamentary army. Coming out of the army, we find him in 1650 walking down a street. Walking down a street in a town called uh, Bedford, just a few miles away from Elstow, his hometown, and about 50 miles north of London in England. He would walk around a lot because his profession was a tinker. didn't make a lot of money in this industry. He was poor, sort of an itinerant repairer of stoveware. Pots and pans and utensils. Like a vacuum salesman, he'd go door to door, hoping somebody would have something that he could fix. And as he walks through the streets of Bedford on this particular sunny day, he overhears a conversation that just surprises him. See, he's making this discovery for the first time. Four women are sitting on the doorstep, taking in a little bit of sun. And Bunyan notices their talk. And here's what he says in his book called Grace Abounding. He says, they talked how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus. And with what promises they had been refreshed. Methought they spake as if joy did make them speak. They spake with such pleasantness of scripture language, with such appearance of grace in all that they said that they were to me as if they had found a new world. It's as though they had seen through this world to a new world. And see, the writer of Hebrews wants us to get that as a definition of faith right at the beginning of the chapter. Faith is, this, is the, uh, the conviction of things not seen. Seen with the eyes of faith, but not seen with the eyes of this world. And so at this time, at 1650, John Bunyan sees a world beyond and he begins to play with that image uh, in his mind. It's the image that shapes the narrative of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, in which he presents to us two cities and a traveler who goes between them. Traveler's name is Christian, and the two cities are on the one hand the city of destruction, which is that city better than which God has conceived and uh, which is therefore going away. The other city is that better city, which is the celestial city. It's that city that will someday come down from heaven, we read in the book of Revelation, and uh, transform all of life. The one who says, behold, I make all things new. And so there is this journey. Christian travels from the city of destruction 
to the celestial city. It's the walk of faith. Bunyan writes, to save is a work of many steps, step by step. And the first step is to see the promises of Jesus Christ. But you can look at something for a long time and not really see it, can't you? I mean, you could have a, a painting, you know, in your office and you walk through and you see it every day. It's a landscape. And, but though you worked there 20 years, it was just one day that you happened to notice there is a little figure on the horizon. I never noticed that. A little a person there. You see, you see it now for the first time. And uh, Bunyan gives us two characters who run out after Christian as he departs the city. Uh, and you always learn something about characters in this book by their names. Uh, one is named Obstinate and the other is named Pliable. And you see, these two char- characters may look at the promises of Jesus Christ, but they can't see them. The problem is, see, that obstinate, his mind is too closed. He will not entertain anything that seems new or foreign to him. So he really can't see the promises. Pliable, on the other hand, his mind is too open. He entertains every idea. The next idea is the best idea until the next idea comes along. And so obstinate, being stubborn that he is, says, you know, I will not follow you, Bunyan. And he turns back and goes to the town. City of Destruction. Pliable says, oh, this sounds like interesting stuff. May I travel with you? And along these two go until they get to the slough of despond. It's a big puddle or a marsh or swamp. And they both fall in. They're covered with it. And they, they can't get out very easily. But uh, Pliable immediately sees that the consequence of pursuing this promise is that we travel through suffering sometimes. And so he says, uh, pliable to Christian, is this the happiness you have told me all this while of? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect twixt this in our journey's end? you got to love the language there, twixt. And so pliable turns back. See, he can look at the promises, but he he can't really see them. They don't pull him forward. Well, that's the first step. It's to fix our eyes on the promise, and it's what draws us into the path to begin with. But the second step, we see in the second verb here, verse 13, uh, they greeted these promises uh, from a distance. Second step is to greet from a distance the promises of Jesus Christ. The, the path takes time. And we're uncomfortable with this. As soon as we find out there's something of immeasurable value, we say to ourselves, well, how soon can I get me some of it, right? Are we there yet? And Bunyan says, whoa, 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 you Americans, you know, slow down a little bit. Uh, salvation takes time. It's a process. It's a journey of many steps. And uh, the language that's used here, greeting Chrysostom and Jerome, two church fathers, thought that perhaps it was uh, the language of, of uh, sailing. Because from a, a sailboat, you might see a distant head from a distance and greet it and say, yeah, yeah. And in fact, uh, there's an example of this in the Aeneid, which is written in Latin, a different language. But uh, we read that these... Uh, Soldiers, these Italians are coming back from a long journey and it's dark, but they can, at one moment, suddenly the, uh, the silhouette of the homeland emerges for them. Italy, they cry out, they greet Italy with great cheers. And so that's the kind of greeting from a distance that the writer of Hebrews says. You know, it, it's not seeing it right in your face, it's seeing it from a distance and saying, that's my homeland. That is my beloved one towards whom I am journeying. And the distance is very important. Uh, we oftentimes in the 21st century evaluate philosophies or worldviews or religions or spiritualities uh, just the way we evaluate most things as consumers. We've been acculturated to ask questions, well, uh, what can you do for me? What goods and services, Jesus, uh, do you provide and how quickly can you provide them? 
And if he doesn't give us a technique for better living or some solution, or uh, then we frankly lose interest. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, don't. You, you, you own those promises from afar. Let them shape your life. In fact, he says, look through the list of names here in the great hall of, uh, faith hall of fame. How many of them died before those promises were fulfilled? They had the promises, but not the fulfillment. And yet, he says, if you take a half step back and look with perspective from a distance, you can see how God is incredibly faithful generation to generation as he moves towards the fulfillment of his promises in Jesus Christ. And your path is part of that same pathway that God is doing as he's renewing this world. So, uh, we get an illustration of this in Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan is going to take our traveler into a house called the House of the Interpreter fairly early on in the journey. And there are several rooms. And the one room I just want to mention to you today is a room in which there are two uh, young children. One is named Passion and the other is named Patience. Now, Passion for, for Bunyan in his day it, it speaks of emotion, hot emotion. And here's what, here's what happens when Christian is taken into this room. The uh, Bunyan uses the figure of a dream. So when we hear the, the first person pronoun, I saw moreover in my dream, this is the author describing this vision that he has of this uh, great story. I saw moreover in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and had him into a little room where sat two little children, each one in his chair. The name of the eldest was Passion and of the other Patience. Passion seemed to be much discontent, but patience was very quiet. Then Christian asked, what is the reason for the discontent of passion? The interpreter answered, the governor, which I think is the nanny, of them would have him stay for his best things till the beginning of the next year. But he will have all now. But patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that one came to passion, and brought him a bag of treasure, poured it down at his feet, the which he took up and rejoiced therein, and withal laughed patience to scorn. But I beheld but a while, and he had lavished all away, and had nothing left him but rags. Then said Christian to the interpreter, Expound this matter more fully to me. So the interpreter said, These two lads are figures, passion of the men of this world, and patience of the men of that which is to come. For as here thou seest, passion will have all now, this year, that is to say, in this world. So are the men of this world. They must have all their good things now. They cannot stay till next year, that is, until the next world, for their portion of good. That proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is of more authority with them than all the divine testimonies of the good of the world uh, to come. And so Bunyan urges us, be patient. This journey takes time. Uh, in fact, the urge to immediacy is the very temptation, I believe, that, that Satan puts before Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. You know, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness, the wilderness of this world. And in that place, Satan comes and offers Jesus what is already his by promise, but he offers it now. Uh, bread, the kingdoms of the world being lifted up if you toss yourself off the temple. Satan says, I could give you this all right now. But Jesus says, no, I have a journey. I have a path of many steps. I travel 
toward the promises. I know they're mine, but I, I embrace them from a distance. The third step is finally this. We see in verse 13, the third verb, they confessed. All of these dine in faith, having uh, seen the promises from a distance, having greeted them, and having confessed that they were strangers and foreigners or pilgrims, as uh, Bunyan would have read in his Bible, on the earth. And there's an interesting uh, expression here that catches my attention. I wonder if it did yours as well as we read it together. It's in verse 16, where it says, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God. Did you notice that? That's interesting. Think of God getting embarrassed. He says he's not ashamed of these people who are in the uh, Faith Hall of Fame. And it's not because they're perfect people. And we always think that. But look at the list of Bible characters that are listed here. And you'll very quickly see that their stories are really stories of, of uh, uh, disobedience, failure, uh, Neglect of, of all the duties that God has set before them. God's not a, um, not ashamed of them because they're perfect people. No, but He's not ashamed of them because they take seriously this pilgrimage and they recognize that they belong to a home they've never visited, and it's the culture of that home that is beginning to shape their identity while they live in this, while they journey through. The word pilgrim really refers to uh, some someone who's with some people from outside of them for a period of time. And so we are uh, pilgrims in that sense. And, you know, parents get embarrassed by their kids, and kids especially get embarrassed by their parents. Uh, we know what that's like. But here God's portrayed as having emotions and saying, wow, you know, I am not embarrassed by anybody who journeys this path, anybody who confesses that they belong to another world and who wrestles with integrity, the desire to reflect uh, the cultures and norms of that world in this life. And we get an image of this fairly deep into the story. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. When we come to a Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair, not the uh, magazine or the movie or the TV show, but the original Vanity Fair is a town in the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And the word vanity comes from Ecclesiastes, you know, this great deconstruction of all the things that the world offers us, right? In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, it says, uh, the preacher says, you know, I, I looked at the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of power, the pursuit of wisdom, uh, all of these things, but they're all chasing after wind. They're all vanity. They're all empty. And so we find in Vanity Fair, modeled after a, a British annual fair that was a bo- bunch of tents in, laid out like a city, that there are merchants who are calling out to those who walk through, uh, offering... Uh, Uh, things to buy. Houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, delights of all sorts, Bunyan tells us as Christian travels through. But these two travelers, because by now Bunyan has a companion named Faithful, Christian, um, excuse me, Christian has a companion, Christian and Faithful travel through and they distinguish themselves from this world, Vanity Fair, in three ways. First of all, their dress. Second, the manner of their speech filled with scripture. And third, Uh, that they show a relative disinterest in the goods of that society. In fact, when they're asked, what will you buy? They shout out, we only buy the truth. And they journey through. Well, they try, but they get arrested and they're taken for a trial, which is kind of a farcical. It's actually a very humorous scene. It's like the the judges and the jury's names are Mr. Hategood and uh, Mr. Blind Man and all of these things. And... um, you know, by the way, Bunyan would have known himself uh, farcical uh, uh, justice. 
Because 10 years after uh, he had that conversion experience of 1560, in 1660, he finds himself with an impulse to be out and preaching, and he's preaching out in the open air. Now, he was not an educated man, and uh, he was not a licensed minister either. And the Church of England rather frowned on that, and so they arrested him and said, unless you're going to stop preaching, uh, we're going to keep you in jail. And though he was a father with four children, his first wife died, his first child uh, was blind, uh, they were all poor, he stayed in that prison making shoelaces to support them and, and writing because he believed that God was compelling him to preach. And he would not capitulate to a false justice. In, in court, when he's on trial, uh, one of the jurors tried to convince the court that the apostles had used the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, and Bunyan says, uh, show me the New Testament where you find that. Um, so he knows this kind of false justice uh, in his life. And he's giving us a portrayal in Vanity Fair of where, where, where commerce and justice and religion are all twisted. And the reason they're twisted is that they're shaped in society without the benefit of the promises of Jesus Christ. See, it's not that commerce and justice and religion are unimportant to John Bunyan. They're very important. But he yearns for a day as a pilgrim when those things and others also will be shaped by the promise of Jesus Christ as they are in the celestial uh, city. So we're to be different. We're to be distinct. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I love the way J.B. Phillips writes it. After, after this great exposition of the good news of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans, uh, Paul says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That's the third, that's the third step as we begin this journey, this path. Well, three steps. It's a path that begins with discovery. We see the promises of Jesus Christ. It's a path that takes time. Uh, we greet the, the promises from a distance, and it's a path that makes us distinct as we confess that in this world we are but strangers and pilgrims. I wonder if you might think about where you are in this process. I love this church, University Presbyterian Church, that is, in part of its mission it says, our mission is to encourage those exploring our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is a place where you can feel safe wherever you are on the journey. You're not even sure you want to start. Or you're just beginning to understand who Jesus is. Or you've been traveling with him for many years. But where are you? Are you seeing? Are you needing to greet from afar? Or are you ready to acknowledge and confess that you're a pilgrim to be made distinct from the culture around you? If we walk this path, we will someday know every promise fulfilled. We will also find the strength and the grace to travel through the wilderness of this world, just as those in the Faith Hall of Fame. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we confess that you are Lord. Through your resurrection, you give us the greatest hope this world has ever known. And you give that hope to us personally. It has attracted us. It draws us into loving relationship with you. It moves us through life. And it begins to transform who we are. Thank you that you call us to follow you. You go before us. As a shepherd goes before his sheep. You walk beside us as a companion and as a friend. And when we stumble and fall, you lift us up. Sling us across your shoulders and carry us. 
We thank you for that. Help us to take that next step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.